And amen, you may be seated. Well, again, welcome. And we, this morning, as we wrap up this series, we are going to look at two passages from Matthew and Mark. They're very brief. And I'll read them to you, but during the message, I'm going to actually flip the order of what we're going to look at uh, this morning. We'll begin by looking at, uh, uh, let me see here, uh, Matthew, and then we'll look at Mark. So <laughs> let me read these, and then I'll pray for us. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that today by it we would be transformed, that we would uh, be the kind of people that we have heard about already today in singing uh, in the scripture, that we would be forgiving, that we would be loving, and that uh, happens when we accept your love and uh, when we receive your forgiveness. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So as we wrap up this series, we have been seeing that uh, forgiveness is a kind of debt relief. To be forgiven is to have your debts remitted or uh, your infractions even canceled. But that means that somebody somewhere has to pay, has to absorb the cost. Tim Keller has said forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. And in forgiving, rather than retaliating, you make a choice to bear the cost. It's not always financial, often it's an emotional cost. Now sometimes it is financial. To illustrate this, my family and I were up in Mammoth uh, many years ago, 10, 12, 15 years ago, and one of my kids got very excited as he saw out on the lawn when we were uh, in this condominium that we had rented from our neighbors, we had just gotten there, and there was a giant Alaskan Malamute out on the lawn. And so my son wanted to see this big dog, and so he ran out, but the screen door was closed, <laughs> and he ran right through it, destroying the screen door. So we got home, uh, and I said to my neighbor, sorry, uh, we destroyed your door, actually my, my son did, and uh, we will replace that for you. So I had to spend a lot of time and more money than I thought, I think we had some things custom made, to have this door replaced. Now, this, again, took time and money, but the mistake, it was a mistake by my son. It was not malicious. Nevertheless, it was an opportunity to teach him uh, to ask for forgiveness and to receive forgiveness. And as I was working on this, I thought, he's got a great job. Maybe it's time for him to pay up now, all these years later. Uh, the point is, is uh, we owe God everything, but we can't pay. Nevertheless, he pardons us. He absorbs the cost. And so forgiveness is generous, a generous release 
of a genuine debt, a generous release of a genuine debt. We release the person who has wronged us from the penalty, in a way, of being separated from us. Again, from the sense that we might retaliate, even if we have that right, so we might think. We do not hold their wrongs against them, because that's the way that God treats us. As the theologian Miroslav Volf has said, we desire forgiveness because we desire relationships, and we know that relationships cannot be mended without forgiveness. So the goal of forgiveness is, hopefully and ultimately, reconciliation. See, friends, God tears down the walls that separated us from him, and therefore we aim to tear down the walls that separate us from other people. We build bridges. That is a gospel endeavor. So today we're going to look at just a few practices of forgiveness and then conclude with the power of and the power for forgiveness. And so we're going to begin here by the idea or the theme of going to seek forgiveness. Going to seek forgiveness. And we find this in Matthew 5, 23 to 24. Let me again read this to you. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come offer your gift. Now the first surprising element of this is that if somebody has something against you, then go to that person. And even this week, counterintuitively to um, you know, our expectations, as I was reading this, I kept expecting to hear, if you have something against them. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't say that. It says, if they have something against you, go and try to mend that. You see, relationship with God is meant to impact our relationships with others. And so we drop what we're doing, and in this case, it's a very, very important activity of prayer, and we go in a gracious mindset and mentality. The context here in Matthew 5 is to diffuse anger, to do away with ungodly anger. And so we're not merely to control our own tempers, but also not to provoke the anger of others. And so Jesus says, as you're praying and you realize somebody has an issue with you, do whatever you can to restore harmony, if possible, in repairing the relationship, in the friendship, in, in the marriage. Go and try to reconcile. And reconciliation in this passage literally means exchanging enmity for friendship. Doing away with enmity for the sake of restoring friendship. And again, what Jesus wants us to do here is to diminish ungodly anger, to de-escalate resentment and negativity. And, and folks, I think we may, some of us think that this doesn't really apply to us. We think, you know, this is not really my issue. But frustration and unforgiveness can so easily creep in subtly, perhaps covertly. Uh, and I think it can impact introverts in a unique way sometimes. Uh, the Christian counselor, David Paulinson, 
wrote about this issue of anger and the need to forgive and to seek forgiveness. And he reflected on his easygoing personality, his low-key disposition. And, and he said in a book that angry people, hot-headed people, are intimidating to him and puzzling. He just doesn't understand them. He just wants to say, chill out. Uh, but then he said, as I've gotten older, I've either gotten worse <laughs> or I've become more aware of who I really am. And this is what he wrote about himself in his latter years. He's now uh, in heaven with the Lord, but he wrote this in his later years. Quiet, brooding, defensive withdrawal, judgmental thoughts, low-grade irritability, a critical attitude, avoiding outright conflict, indifference to repairable wrongs. These are just my less dramatic brands, brands of an anger problem. My personal tendency has never been to go on the offensive with frenzied hot war. I have specialized more in keeping a safe distance from conflicts and, if necessary, engaging in a cold war. And I think that's a temptation that many of us face, a cold war, avoiding keeping our distance from people who hurt us or whom we think perhaps we've hurt. We might be tempted to ghost or even to cancel. And yet, these responses are not the way of Christ. He says, go to your brother or sister who may have something against you and try to make things right. Now, I have witnessed this passage beautifully applied more than once in my life and in Christian ministry. I've seen believers take this approach where they say, I care enough to come to you in vulnerability and in humility. Have I upset you? If so, please forgive me. And I've seen it when people go knowing that the goal is not to win an argument, but to win back a person. And so, friends, sometimes we need to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. We own what is ours, not what belongs to somebody else, but we do own our part in the breakdown of relationships. And when we apologize, we don't uh, pepper it with ifs, you know, well, if you had treated me this way, or buts, or all the qualifications, you know, I was tired that day. No, we own it. And friends, this takes much Christ-like humility, a willingness not to take ourselves too seriously and our brothers and sisters quite seriously. But it also takes courage because let's face it, sometimes when we do this with people, it's awkward. It, it doesn't go how we had envisioned and yet Jesus says, go. And so the first surprise is not if you have something against another, but if they have something against you, then go to them. But the second surprise is actually the urgency. Jesus says, don't delay, go now. I, I was able to oversee this kind of 
worked out in community when we, in my former church, we would take a, a large group of high schoolers, usually about 50 plus, down to Mexico every year, and we would stay at an orphanage and minister there. And we had uh, nightly worship around the campfire, and, and uh, the last day while we were there that week, every year we would have communion. And one of the things that I would say before communion is before you come here to receive the bread and the wine, I want you to go talk to each other. If, if you have a rift with somebody, go and seek forgiveness and forgive. And there, there was a lot of getting up and going around and talking to people because we were in close quarters, you know, people getting on each other's nerves, uh, sometimes a lot of misunderstandings, uh, maybe somebody using humor inappropriately, and it was a beautiful thing as we were coming to the Lord's table, as it were, seeing high schoolers going and making things right. And as we do this, as we uh, seek to repair the rifts in our relationships, sometimes we even need to go the extra mile. We need to make restitution. In Luke 19, when Jesus calls Zacchaeus into his kingdom, Zacchaeus is overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus, and he not only receives the forgiveness of the kingdom, but Zacchaeus says, as a tax collector, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And that's a mindset in which we're not trying to earn forgiveness, but rather we're trying to express the liberating power of the kingdom the jubilee, as it were, of the kingdom. We are wanting to show how grace has impacted us. We want to make amends. Now, I want to share with you a story that actually comes out of that um, trip in Mexico. I'm not particularly proud of it, uh, but it's a way that I was convicted about applying my own teaching. <laughs> um, for that trip, I borrowed somebody's guitar and I took it there and used it, and I took care of the guitar, but, you know, it was out in the elements. I was always playing it with a roaring fire, and, you know, debris is all around. It's just, you know, that's a rough environment. It was outside, and at night it was in a tent. So I borrowed this person's guitar, and, you know, I tried to take really good care of it, but I ended up keeping it for a while. I got back, and I just kind of forgot about their guitar. And I think it was like two months went by, and I started to think about all these themes. I was probably teaching on them, or the church was teaching on them. And I realized, I, I need to make this right. I, I you know, need to make restitution. So I wrote a, a thank you card in which I also apologized. I gave that person uh, $100 because I felt like there were some, maybe some scratches on the guitar. And I took the guitar to a professional in Irvine to clean it up, polish it up, and tune it, and put on new strings and so forth. And, and sometimes, again, friends, these things can be costly. They can be embarrassing. We're not always sure how that's going to be received. We wonder if we're over-reading or over-reacting. But the point is, in our relationships... Um, they are worth it, aren't they? And if we have harmed those relationships in any way, it is up to us to go, to say, forgive me. And in some cases, it is up to us to make amends. And yet we also need to know that we can only do our part. 
We must ultimately leave the matter to the Lord. And, and this helps us when we feel disappointed that, that maybe sometimes we go to people and they don't respond as we had hoped or, or we sense that loose ends are not tied up together. You see, the word of God frees us up and tells us that we don't have to fix everything. We can leave uh, the loose ends to our God because there is only one Savior and you and I are not that Savior. And so we do our part. We go. We, we try to mend relationships because God has mended our relationship with him. But it's also true that we go to others when they hurt us. And now I want to look at Mark eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have uh, anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. And so what this is telling us is that forgiveness is, is a kind of inward work first and foremost. So that when we go to a person who has hurt us or wronged us, and we are to do that, we're not going in a spirit of retaliation or payback, but we are going in a spirit of grace and humility. You see, forgiveness means that we forsake retaliation because God does not retaliate against us. It means that we express our love and our benevolence as God has expressed that to us. We renounce payback, and we remain constantly open to reconciliation. And so, yes, we are to own what is ours, but there are also times that we go to somebody as we have been praying, and we must bathe it in prayer. And we humbly and courageously, and I want to restress humbly, <laughs> we point out what the other person has done to hurt us. And again, we don't do this in a spirit of retaliation, but in an attempt to heal the breach as God has healed our breach with him. The theologian J.I. Packer put forgiveness this way. He says, forgiveness is compassion, showing unmerited kindness to the wrongdoer. It is creative that is, it renews the spoiled relationship, and again, it is inevitably costly. And it is this forgiveness that allows us to confront constructively rather than vengefully. And praise God, sometimes grace melts ungrace. When we go in a spirit of forgiveness and grace, sometimes we see the Lord melting the ungrace that resides in the hearts of people. Now I want to add some important words here that we have been looking at and thinking about, and it is related to the issue of justice. Those who have been victimized by evil or perhaps criminal activity, they must be wise, you must be wise. I have witnessed um, directly the theme of forgiveness being used in, in a kind of weaponized way. And this is what I mean. A perpetrator of wrong might go to the victim and say, well, you've got to forgive me, right? And that perpetrator takes the idea of mercy and grace that the victim wants to show 
and that perpetrator uses the mercy against the forgiver. And so I think it's wise for us to say, especially as we have seen Matthew 18 in this series, that if you have been victimized, the Lord cares about you and you need to protect yourself. But more to the point, others need to come alongside you and protect you. It is sometimes the case that it is not wise or safe for you to go alone to the wrongdoer, but others should help you in that endeavor. And so this means that true love can sometimes entail tough love in which consequences remain in place within the framework of mercy, leaving room for the justice of God. This is how Paul puts it in Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil. Live peaceably with all insofar as you are able. Right? We are not responsible to make others live peaceably with us. And then Paul says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. So if you have been victimized, the Lord cares about you, your church cares about you, and we want to make sure that you deal with these things in a context that is safe. Perhaps you take uh, one of your pastors or a trusted Christian friend or, or a, a Christian attorney who is very skilled in mediation, it is important that the victim be protected and that we remember that we are to pursue peace only insofar as we are able. And this means that sometimes the situation is beyond our ability and so great wisdom is needed in these difficult cases. But what about the power of forgiveness? Well, I want to remind you what 1 Peter says, that above all, we are to love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. That, that language of cover is what the Old Testament uses for atonement. The Lord covers over our sins, and therefore, we don't exact payment for every little infraction. It means that in relationships, we don't express a severity of spirit. We, we don't tell people that they're going to hear about all of our grievances, but we forgive. And we remember that forgiveness means we don't give what people deserve because, as one writer has said, forgiveness is mercifully unfair. <laughs> God doesn't give us fairness. He gives us mercy. As Psalm 103 says, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, but he gives us uh, his love. He remits our debts. He cancels our debts instead of canceling us at great cost to himself. And so I want us to remember that our sins do not disappear magically. God doesn't just wipe them away, but they disappear mercifully. Jesus had to absorb our sins and leave them in the tomb so that God might wipe our slate clean, that we might stand forgiven and clean before him. The prophet Micah said, 
God will again have compassion on us and he will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. And that's how we picture our dealing with the sins of others. And so this is the power to forgive. When we absorb this reality, when we think about it, when it affects our hearts, when it grips us, we're able to forgive others of the small infractions they commit against us. And even, as history has shown us, the big sins that people have committed. Some of you know the story of uh, Louis Zamperini, uh, who was really an amazing guy. He, he was a, an Olympian and uh, ended up being uh, flying in bombers in World War II, and, and he went through all of these uh, various trials. Uh, his, his plane was shot down, and they were stranded at sea for for many, many days, um, and they actually set a record for people being stranded at sea. Uh, and one of the toughest experiences is their little raft. Uh, they, they thought they saw rescuers coming after this long time there at sea, uh, but it turned out to be uh, the Japanese army coming and, and uh, Louis Zamperini and the guys that were with him on the raft uh, ended up going to a prisoner of war camp. And if you know the story, the book Unbroken, there was one guard in particular named Mutsuhiro Watanabe, uh, who was nicknamed the bird, and he uh, tortured Louis Zamperini. He, was, he really focused his ire and his hatred against this guy. He, he found out that he was an Olympic star. Uh, he saw the man's strength, so he just was brutal toward him. And I won't go into the details, but it was absolutely hellish and horrific. Well, the, of course, the Allies liberated the camps, and Louis and some of his colleagues, his, his fellow soldiers, came back. But I think the book is wrongly named. I think they came back very broken, not unbroken. And years later, Louis was really struggling with rage and resentment and having night terrors, horrible nightmares. Uh, but he went to a Billy Graham crusade and gave his life to Christ. He, at the end of the conference, he got up and was, was walking out and Billy Graham basically spoke to him and said, um, sit down, <laughs> this gospel is for you. And so Louis uh, became a believer. Well, fairly famously, uh, later on, he wanted to go back and apply Christian forgiveness. So he ended up writing a letter to Watanabe about his experience. And this is what he wrote to this uh, former um, prison guard. And CBS, the television network, actually got involved with this scenario and tried to broker a meeting between Zamperini and Watanabe. They were gonna televise it, actually, uh, the meeting between the two of them. Well, that meeting never happened uh, because Watanabe basically said, I, I spit on your forgiveness. It was really awful. And again, that's where we need to leave things to the justice of God. But this is what Zamperini wrote, and it's been quite a witness to the watching world about the power of Christian forgiveness. He wrote to Watanabe, as a result of my prisoner of war experience under your 
unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and the suffering as it was to the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner of war, but also as a human being, were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble. But thanks to the confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. And love has replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952 and was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Sugamo Prison. I asked them about you and was told that you probably committed Harry Carey. In other words, the rumor was he had killed himself, which I was sad to hear. At that moment, I also forgave you and now would hope that you would become a Christian. Uh, well, again, Watanabe refused Zamperini's forgiveness, and that meeting never happened. But what a powerful witness to the world it has been. In 2014, uh, one of you told me that on KFI radio, there's a pretty well-known shock jock named Bill Handel. I haven't heard him in years, but it, he was going to interview Zamperini about his book. And so a number of us tuned in, and uh, Handel was kind of known as a person that made fun of Christianity, made fun of people who believe in God. Uh, he, he just kind of was, nothing was really sacred in the way he would make fun of things. And I thought, what is he going to address here when Zamperini comes on? So I listened to the commercial break. I got on right at the right time. And he said, I have spoken to presidents, I have spoken to world leaders, um, uh, movie stars, rock musicians, I have never, ever spoken to anyone like our next guest. Uh, Zamperini was 93 or 94 at the time. And I thought that Handel was going to talk about being stranded at sea, all the different experiences, being in the Olympics, and the first thing out of his mouth was, Louis Zamperini, you forgave the bird. What was it that motivated you to do that? And then Louis Zamperini there on KFI radio explained the gospel of forgiveness. You see, friends, in these passages, we see the power of forgiveness, but we also see the power to forgive. And in the new covenant, as we will see at the Lord's Supper, God gives us the power uh, not only to follow him, but to forgive others when they don't treat us rightly. He writes his law upon our hearts. He writes his mercy upon our hearts. And so in the gospel, in our lives, and I want you to think about this in the smaller situations that you face, you have power to forgive. And as you forgive, you display the power of forgiveness to a very, very unforgiving world. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would use the words of your uh, gospel to, to shape us, that we would know that you did not 
retaliate against us. You did not pay us what our sins deserve, but you have given us mercy. And this mercy and grace have come at great cost to yourself. You gave us your son. And we thank you that he absorbed our sin, our punishment, that he left those things in the tomb, as it were, and that he rose to give us the power, the power of your spirit to be people who mirror your forgiveness. God, I pray that even this week, if we sense that maybe perhaps we have wronged someone, that we would go to them, that we would try to make things right, that we would be humble and courageous. And God, if there are others who have harmed us or hurt us, I pray that that we would also be humble and courageous and that we would be able to go in a spirit of forgiving grace. And I know that there are some in this room who probably need to do that. God, we have sometimes family, extended family issues, um, perhaps friendships that have faded. I pray, God, that we would be able to go and make those things right, that we would restore those relationships because you have restored our relationship with you. God, I thank you for uh, the love of your gospel. We thank you for the love of Christ. We thank you that you have so generously canceled our debts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.